Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Our special guest, Dr. Erica Elliott. Her book is Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert. And, of course, we're talking about her life on the... How long did you stay on the reservation, Erica? I, I stayed two years, and then I wanted to perfect my Navajo. And so I went to live with a family who spoke no English. And I um, became a sheep herder, 594 sheep and goats. And I did that for a few months, and I, I learned everything about um, tr- really traditional life. It was oh my gosh, very yeah. much like 100 years ago or something. And I learned how to shear sheep and card the wool and sp- spin it and weave and get the plants to dye the wool and butcher. I, I, I butchered a sheep. That, and <laughs> that was really hard. <laughs> For me yeah, to do me that, too. and yeah, um, so. and then I wanted to learn more about indigenous people, so I, I joined the Peace Corps and worked high in the Andes with Quechua-speaking Indians who were descendants of the Incas. But you know, George, I wanted to tell you about what happened when I spoke those few words of Navajo. Um, everything changed. I mean, the kids just came alive. And they asked me to take out each kid every weekend, take out a different kid and drive them to their remote homesteads out in the middle of nowhere. And um, it, it, it was incredible because they invited me to ceremonies that white people never experience and usually aren't allowed in those ceremonies. And they completely took me in and it changed my life. And what happened to the children is they saw how excited I was about learning about their lives and their culture. And it turns out these kids were actually incredibly smart. And it's too bad the other teachers didn't realize that because they they wanted so much for me to learn about their lives that they learned English so fast that this is unbelievable, but I have a newspaper article to prove what I'm about to say Three of the children won a regional speech contest. And these that's, were children who, who really couldn't that's amazing. together. It shows you when how much transformation happens when there's love involved. I loved these kids, and they knew it. And it, it, it made them come so alive. And, um, wow, were they smart. They were really smart kids. They're all adults now, aren't they? They're all adults. And I wanted to tell you, uh, or your listeners, that I had, I knew that... Um, we got a picture, by the way, of you with the kids. Oh, yeah, at, 36 at, kids. Yeah, I, I just was so in love with them. I, and I knew their, all, their whole family. I you know, spend a whole weekend with each of the kids. So for 36 weekends, I, I was with a different kid. And they didn't speak English, the families, uh, the grandmothers and the parents. And so I really had to learn Navajo to uh, really converse. And that that was hard. I was already linguistically oriented because I had lived in different countries in Europe sure. because my parents worked. But I had never faced a language that was so challenging and well, that's why they were our code talkers during World War II, so yeah. the Germans wouldn't figure out what we were up to. Yeah, and I, I want to tell you something else. Um, 
So I, I knew that boarding schools had a really bad history with abusing the children, but this boarding school was really different. Part of it was this is different era. This was 1971, so things had already changed. But I asked the principal uh, wh- uh, why they, why this was different because they they were nice to the students. They they didn't hit them or, or or you know punish them for speaking their language or doing anything bad. And he said it was his. Um, deep purpose to make sure that the kids were treated well because he told about his abuse in the South and so he was very identified uh, with the children and making sure they, they weren't treated the way he was treated when he grew up in the South. And we ended up having such a bond, he called up Washington, D.C., with the for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, he said, "There's we have this white teacher who speaks Navajo, and she's on her own um, doing something that looks like bilingual, bicultural education. And, um, you know, do you want to use her as a pilot program? Because that's when that was a brand-new concept. It was just starting. And so I, I became part of the pilot program and the BBC came and filmed the classroom. And, oh, cool. You know, it was really exciting how we collaborated. And he allowed me, he really, we really bonded. And he, he normally, he, he had to make sure the teachers followed the curriculum. He let me do whatever I wanted. So I made my own curriculum instead of the Dick and Jane books. We made our own curriculum based on experience, like going into the canyon and doing these little adventures, and then they'd come back and write about it. And um, so I just, I just wanted to tell the listeners how, what a magical experience this was for me. To Mo- most people probably don't even know that this Navajo reservation of 17 million acres exists. That's, that's right. And, and so I, I think if the listeners decide to read the book, I think it'll be mind-blowing. In fact, it's so mind-blowing, some of the things I saw, like with the peyote ceremony. Well, you, yeah, you saw some miracles, which I want to get into, too. Okay, I'll let you take over. I, I just wanted to make that connection. I can tell how excited you are about this project you've been doing. Oh, so excited, George. It changed my life completely. How are they living now, Erica, on the reservation? I mean, are they happy? Is it, is it, is it well provided for? No, it's, it's a rugged life. They, they, is housing bad and stuff like that? Yeah, it's, it's very rugged. So they got the land, but that's about it, huh? Yeah, the government hasn't kept its promises very well. But now, like I said, there's a silver lining to that. These young people are getting just so amped up about changing things and making the people more self-reliant like they used to Well, and when you say young people, you're saying non-Native American kids? No, no, I'm sorry. Native, their own Navajo people. Okay, okay. The young people, like in their 20s to 40, let's say, are really starting to make a difference on the reservation. All right, so the name of your book is called Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert. What miracles? Okay, (laughs) so uh, one of the families 
was a member of the Native American Church, which is the peyote religion that's borrowed from the Plains Indians. That's not traditional Navajo, but but many tribes adopted this uh, from from the Lakota people. The Lakota people found use of peyote in ceremonial religious purposes that it it helped them cope when they were being slaughtered. Um, in the late 1800s, and and then it was a source of great comfort to them and solace to have this plant medicine that helped them cope. And 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 again, the Navajos adopted it. And so, um, white people in that era were not allowed to attend. But I was invited, and um, it was legal for Navajos. The government gave permission. And they would go to Texas every year and harvest the peyote. Yeah. It's a cactus, right? It's a cactus, yeah. It's a cactus, like, like San Pedro. And, and I, they asked me if I would like to uh, go to a ceremony. And they said I'd have to, you know, wear no white man clothes. I had to dress like a Navajo woman. They supplied me with everything, and it's full of silver jewelry and turquoise. I, I looked like I was going to the a Navajo prom or something. <laughs> I, I really, I was, I was so dressed up, and <clears throat> I was kind of scared because I knew this was mind altering, and I, so I didn't know what it was going to do. You had to imbibe on the peyote too. Yeah, and it came came in three forms: the button, the tea, and a powder, and it went around all night. And they were praying for healing of a baby and um, and uh, sang. And, you know, some people thought Native people are not emotional. They got really emotional. And um, in their prayers, they were tears coming down their Well, cheeks. tell us when you took the peyote. What happened to you? Okay. Okay. Well, every time something, mirac- uh, something miraculous happened, the first time, what was so amazing, George, is I was just, there about a month or two, so I was just barely learning Navajo. I could say, what's your name, where are you from, how many sheep do you have, and stuff, not much. And so my, um, the family that, quote, adopted me, and they told me that I was supposed to call the, the woman my mother, Shimma, and she sat next to me, and when the sacred tobacco came around, which you, you, it's from uh, herbs that are gathered in the mountains, when you inhale, exhale, and then you pray. And so when it, when after my Navajo mother finished praying, she handed me the hand-rolled cigarette and said, pass it on. In, she, in English, she said, you can pass it it's like on. It's like a marijuana joint. Almost. Like a marijuana joint. And I took it. I was really had a lot of peyote at that time, and I was really affected by it. And so... I, I took it, and I inhaled, exhaled, and then I started praying in Navajo. And I, I thought to myself, while I was praying in Navajo... Which you didn't know how to, right? No, I didn't know. I, I didn't know how to pray. I, I mean, in their language. I didn't know their language, even. I was just a beginner at learning. And I, while I was praying, I mean, I was speaking totally fluently, and I, I was... Part of my brain was saying, "Wow, I, I must be—I—I—I I, I must be hallucinating. I can't possibly be speaking Navajo." But this is—I'm—I'm I'm in a dream. This can't be real. I kept saying to myself, "This can't be real." While I was praying, 
And I thought, gee, I must be really high from this stuff. And and then I, I finished praying. And then this water drum goes around, and and you pass it on, and, and you go, hey, nay, young. And, and then <laughs> she, my Navajo mother, passed me the drum and said, pass it on. And I didn't. I started drumming, and I started singing. Singing a Navo prayer song. Hey, nay, young, ah, yo. Now, how did you even learn I or know how to do it? I did not learn any of this stuff. But I you were pre- were you pretty accurate though singing? Well, I'll tell you how this ends. I, I I just thought I'm dreaming this whole thing. I said this is more real than real life, but I know it's a dream. This can't possibly be true because I've never heard these songs before ever in my life. How can I possibly know them? And so. After the peyote wore off and it became daylight, we filed out, kneeled down, touched the earth with our forehead, and fanned ourselves with the eagle feather fan, and then went into the nearby cinder block house and sat down for breakfast on the floor with a sheet, and it was mutton stew, fry bread, and canned peaches. And the Navajo... The medicine man at the peyote ceremonies are called road man, and they don't use, they don't say medicine man, they say road man. The road man looked at me and started talking to me nonstop in Navajo. I didn't have any idea what he was saying, and he was looking me right in the face, and I started feeling really uncomfortable. And everybody was looking at me, and finally I was so embarrassed. I I just said, uh, "Excuse me, um, you you know I I don't." really know what you're saying. I don't speak Navajo. And everybody burst out laughing, and he said, you sure talked up a storm last night. <laughs> Which you I, don't remember. I, I, I remember, but I thought it wasn't real. I thought that can't be real. Like a dream? Yeah, I thought the whole thing was a dream. And That's... he said, no, it was real. I was really singing a song. I said, but I don't even know those songs. He said, well, that's what the medicine does. They call it plant medicine. That's what the medicine does. Now, do they give this medicine to people who are sick? Yes. They do. So it's used for prayer and for healing sickness. And and so every time I went to a peyote ceremony, I went to quite a few, I saw miracles happen. And one of the miracles was to my own healing. Um, I don't know if you have time for me to tell about how a tumor disappeared. I just have a minute to go. You had a tumor? Yes, I, it was um, a, like a lymph gland, like a lymphoma, and the, I went two, two hours to the... Do you, do you know if it was benign or cancerous? No, no the, the internist said it was probably cancer and that he, he needed to biopsy it. He said it was hard as a rock, just like cancer. He was sure it was cancer. And it disappeared sometime during these episodes of these uh, yes. events? Yes. Yes, it, I, I touched my under my um, jaw and it disappeared. And, and it's I, still still gone. Uh, yeah, I keep fingering it. It fifty years later, I'm still put my finger there. You Mr. think it's going to come back, right? I can't believe it after fifty years that it's that it's permanently gone. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at one a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.